Singular They and the Syntactic Representation of Gender in English by Bronwyn M. Bjorkman. This article originally appeared in 2017 in the journal Glossa, a journal of general linguistics. Abstract. Singular they enjoys a curious notoriety in public discussions of English grammar. Despite this, and though its use with quantificational, nonspecific, and genuinely epicene antecedents dates back at least to the 1400s, it has been little discussed in formal linguistics. This squib suggests an analysis of this long-standing use of they, while also describing a more recent change in they's distribution, whereby many speakers now accept it with singular, definite, and specific antecedents of known binary gender. I argue that the distribution of they, in both conservative and innovative varieties, has implications for our understanding of the syntactic representation of gender in English, the structure of bound variable pronouns, and the regulation of co-reference. Section 1. Introduction. This paper addresses the general issues of pronominal binding and co-reference, though its empirical focus is comparatively narrow, being mainly concerned with the distribution of so-called singular they in modern English, and the evidence that distribution provides for the syntactic representation of gender features in the language. For a functional element, singular they enjoys a curious notoriety, particularly among non-linguists. Though sometimes discussed as though it were a 20th century innovation, introduced due to feminist backlash against epicene he, in fact it has been used in contexts like those in one, with quantificational, nonspecific, and genuinely epicene antecedents, going back at least to the 1400s. Bodine, 1975, notes that prescriptive edicts against singular they, by contrast, date back only to the 1700s, and never successfully eradicated singular they from standard English usage. Example 1. A. Everyone should know their own phone number. B. Could Janet or Thomas introduce themselves? C. Seeing an unidentified distant figure. They're waving at us. D. After answering a phone call. They had the wrong number. Theoretical work on the English pronominal system has largely overlooked the use of they in one, though it has been described in sociolinguistic and some psycholinguistic studies. The focus of this paper, however, is not on this long-standing use of they, but instead on a more recent change in they's distribution, which appears to have been overlooked even in descriptive work. This change is visible in contexts like those in two, where some speakers accept they, even with an antecedent that is singular, definite, and specific, referring to an individual whose binary gender is known to both speaker and hearer. The examples in two are marked with percentage signs to indicate that they are accepted by a percentage of the population. 2a. Percent. The professor said they cancelled the exam. Co-reference between professor and they. 2b. Percent. Our eldest child broke their leg. Co-reference between child and their. 2c. Percent. I'll let my cousin introduce themselves. Footnote 1. From this point forward in the paper, I consistently use the reflexive form themselves, even as the non-plural reflexive of they, though it should be noted that some speakers prefer themselves. There is also independent variation with their self, their selves. Not only has this extension of they gone unreported, it also presents an additional puzzle, in that even speakers who accept singular definite specific they as in two generally do not accept sentences like those in three, where the antecedent remains singular, definite, and specific, but is now a proper given name or gender-specific noun. 3a. Star. Janet said they cancelled the exam. 
co-reference between Janet and they. 3b. Thomas broke their leg, co-reference between Thomas and their. 3c. Star. I'll let my sister slash father slash aunt introduce themselves, co-reference between sister, father, or aunt, and themselves. Footnote 2. For at least some speakers, they is possible with given names if the referent is of unknown gender or of known non-binary gender. But because the empirical focus of this paper is on the contrast between two and three, and to avoid a proliferation of marks to indicate different distributions of grammaticality, in the remainder of this paper, examples like those in three are marked as ungrammatical. The contrast in acceptability between two and three has been made more striking by increased cultural visibility of non-binary individuals, individuals who identify with neither masculine nor feminine gender, and so who cannot be referred to with either the singular masculine pronoun he or the singular feminine pronoun she. Many non-binary individuals prefer singular they as a pronoun of reference, and they is sometimes said to have the advantage of being already part of English grammar, in contrast to fully innovative alternatives. Footnote 3. A number of gender nonspecific pronouns have been formally proposed in various sources, including A. M. Air, Spivik 1990, Who, Whom, Whose, Z. Zier, Zier, Z. Here, Here, Thon, Thon, Thons, and many others. It is thus surprising that even for innovative they users, the current status of they in English is apparently insufficient to render sentences like those in 3a and b automatically acceptable, even for speakers who accept sentences like those in 2, and even if Janet and Thomas are known to name non-binary individuals. Internalized cultural assumptions that all humans can be sorted into binary gender categories likely form part of the obstacle to adopting they as a singular pronoun of reference. But the contrast between two and three reveals that there may also be a grammatical obstacle as well. This paper is not intended to argue against adopting they as a singular pronoun of reference for non-binary individuals, but instead to clarify the grammatical status of they among contemporary English speakers, and so to clarify what changes are involved in extending they further to examples like 3a and b. From a theoretical perspective, this paper argues that the distribution of they has implications for our understanding of both bound variable pronouns and the role of gender in regulating pronominal coreference. In the first case, I argue that we need a syntactic account in which bound variables optionally instantiate fewer feature distinctions than their full referential counterparts. The distinction among pronoun types proposed by Deshen and Vilchko 2002 offers the right kind of distinction in this respect, while the widely adopted mechanism of feature transmission, used in much semantic work to account for features on bound variables, cannot account for the attested distribution of singular they. Accounting for the innovative use of they and to, by contrast, requires an account of the status of gender features in English, and the role of these features in regulating pronominal co-reference. I suggest that for innovative they users, gender has ceased to be a contrastive feature on pronouns, instead becoming a fully optional semantic feature. But even for these speakers, a subset of English nouns, proper names and gender-specific nouns, remain syntactically specified for gender features, and mechanisms of co-reference resolution in discourse prevent they from referring back to any antecedent that was previously specified for gender. The paper begins in sections 2 and 3 by briefly reviewing previous work on the distribution of singular they in English, and by describing in more detail the innovative use of they with singular definite specific antecedents. Sections 4 and 5 then turn to details of the proposed analysis. Section 2. A Brief History of They 
As noted above, they has been possible with quantificational, indefinite, and epicene antecedents throughout the modern English period. Footnote 4. I use quantificational and indefinite in a slightly imprecise sense, including singular WH items and free relatives, as well as nominals with determiners such as every, no, each, both, any, no, some, each, and indefinite a. Uh. I use epicene to refer to antecedents of unknown, indeterminate, or mixed gender. The examples in four, from Shakespeare, Swift, and Austen, are typical in this respect. Other historical examples involve definite antecedents that are nonetheless generic or nonspecific, e.g. the ideal candidate, or involve an antecedent of unknown gender. 4a. Shakespeare, A Comedy of Errors, 1623. There's not a man I meet but doth salute me, as if I were their well-acquainted friend. 4b. Swift, Polite Conversation, 1738. Every fool can do as their bid. 4c. Austin, Pride and Prejudice, 1813. Both sisters were uncomfortable enough. Each felt for the other, and of course for themselves. Though prescriptive objections to singular they may have reduced its use in much formal writing, especially in more linguistically conservative American sources, singular they has remained well attested in speech and less formal writing through to the present day. Citations to Bodine, 1975, Matosian, 1997, Baranowski, 2002. Studies as far back as Bate, 1978, have shown that singular they is used even by speakers who self-report that they do not use it at all, and a long record of psychological studies has shown that English speakers do not, in fact, interpret generic he as gender neutral. Bodine, 1975, provides the following examples of naturally occurring singular they, quote, collected by the author from the ordinary conversation of native speakers of American English holding bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Page 139. 5a. Did everyone say they missed you like mad yesterday? 5b. Somebody left their sweater. 5c. Not one single child raised their hand. 5d. When you call on a student, it's better if you can remember their name. Hageman, 1981, the sole generative paper to comment on this use, gives a number of examples similar to those in 5 and directly states, quote, it is important to add that this use of they slash their is restricted to generic nominals which are unmarked for sex. No instances of such a neutral singular they are to be found with 1. Referentially specific nominals, my teacher, 2. Sex-specific nominals, sister, mother, etc. Hageman, 1981, page 237. The examples from Shakespeare and Austin above already show that the second of these restrictions is too strong, as we see bound variable they with nominals like man or sister. We will return to the first restriction below in discussing the innovative use of singular they. Recent studies of pronoun use have continued to find an association between they and quantificational, indefinite, and epicene antecedents, even when not using this semantic terminology. Newman, 1992, analyzing a corpus of spontaneous speech from nine television shows, suggests that singular they prefers, quote, non-solid antecedent, where, quote, solidity is intended to combine referentiality, specificity, and definiteness. Newman states this is a preference rather than an absolute requirement, but none of the examples of potentially solid antecedents in the paper, all of which appear in six, involve truly definite and specific singular antecedents for they. 
In 6a, the antecedent one is nonspecific, though contextually referring only to women married to men. 6a. If one is signing and thinking that their husband is representing that there isn't any other relationships, there isn't any problems there, and they do that as part of the consideration for the agreement, then of course you can test it and determine and develop the information that shows that that wasn't so, and that they were being misrepresented. In 6b, it is a free relative, whoever is chosen. 6b. I'm sure that whoever is chosen, probably their viewpoints will be at least reasonably known on those issues. In 6c, it is a non-specific partitive one of them, in context, one of a set of male doctors. 6c. Just before the program, we looked up one of them, and they're not in there. Matosian 1997, perhaps the most comprehensive study of the colloquial use of singular they to date, adopts Newman's distinction of the solidity of antecedents in her study of epicene pronouns in sociolinguistic interviews conducted in Philadelphia and Minneapolis. Again, though Matosian describes the association of they with non-solid antecedents as a preference, and does not directly comment on whether they ever appears in her data with a specific definite antecedent of known binary gender, all of the examples given in the dissertation of potentially solid antecedents appear to be either indefinite or nonspecific. A selection of Matosian's examples of singular they appear in seven, including the single example given of a singular definite antecedent for they, 7a, where the antecedent is nonspecific the other. 7. Matosian, 1997, pages 164 to 166. A. Usually, if one spouse is Catholic, as long as the other's Catholic, whichever nationality they are doesn't matter, as long as they're Catholic. I mean, if they're a good Catholic, you know. B. Question. What would happen if a girl asked a boy to dance? They, some people would dance with them, but like, others wouldn't. Question. How come? It depends on the girl, who the girl is. C. I consider childbirth the most important event in my life. And it's something I'll never forget, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to have a child and to see everything. I can't imagine anyone just being knocked out and wake up and have the baby in their arms. I think they miss so much. Throughout the modern English period, then, it appears that they has been possible as a bound variable, with quantificational or indefinite antecedents, and with genuinely epicene antecedents, those of indeterminate, mixed, or unknown gender, as in the case of non-specific definites like the ideal student. Footnote 5. Indeed, some English speakers not only allow they as a bound variable in quantificational contexts, but actually require it, even with antecedents like every boy or no woman. Determining whether this co-varies with the innovative use of they discussed in section 3 is beyond the scope of this paper, but it has pedagogical implications, as students who are native English speakers may reject classic diagnostics involving complex binding judgments if they are presented with bound variable he or she. Further, it may be more accurate to say that epicene they is possible when the gender of the referent is not in the common ground. Consider 1D, where they is used to refer to a caller who had the wrong number. Most speakers I have consulted regard the use of he or she to be mildly infelicitous in this context, even if the speaker did form some opinion about the gender of the caller on the basis of their voice. What appears to allow the use of they in this context is that the addressee does not know the gender of the referent. Finally, note that we cannot account for this use of they, what we might call the conservative distribution of singular they in English, simply by proposing that gender or number features are optionally absent in these contexts, because they is restricted to singular animate antecedents. 
When the referent of a pronoun is inanimate, the pronoun it is obligatory. Footnote 6. More accurately, it is required for non-persons. Both non-human animals and small children and infants can be optionally referred to as either they or it in the context in eight, despite being animate. I nonetheless refer to it as inanimate following standard terminology. 8a. Every book lost its cover. Star. Every book lost their cover. 8b. I like my local grocery store. I recommend it to you. Star. I recommend them to you. Footnote 7. Them is acceptable here, but only referring to a collective, i.e. the people who run my local grocery store. 8c. Seeing a distant object which cannot be identified. I think it's a tree. Star. I think they're a tree. Interestingly, this restriction to animates remains true even for speakers for whom they is possible with specific definite singular antecedents of known binary gender, what we might call the innovative distribution of singular they, to which we turn in the next section. Section 3. Innovative they with specific definite antecedents. Though previous descriptions have reported that they is not possible, or is strongly dispreferred, with singular definite antecedents, or as a referential pronoun when the gender of the antecedent is known to both speaker and hearer, we already saw in the introduction that for some contemporary speakers, they is fully grammatical in these contexts. 9a. Percent. I really love their costume, e.g. while pointing someone out. 9b. Percent. My friend left their sweater here. 9c. Percent. Your research assistant said they'll be joining the call later. The judgments reported in this paper on the innovative use of they are those of the author, confirmed in consultation with other native English speakers from the US and Canada, and via observation of the use of they in speech and writing over several years. Approximately 20 speakers have been consulted in detail regarding the judgments overall, and though not all of them accept the use of they illustrated in nine, all sentences marked with a percent sign have been systematically accepted by a subset of speakers consulted. While firm generalizations are not possible based on this small sample, it appears that younger speakers more often accept the innovative use of they, while older speakers are more likely to find it ungrammatical or pragmatically odd. Confirmation of this age grading, or further conclusions regarding possible regional or social factors, must await a larger scale study. If we were to inspect only the examples in nine, we might hypothesize that for innovative speakers, gender specification has become optional even on pronouns, the sole context where it remains morphologically reflected. As a consequence, the distinction between singular she slash he and plural they would also be lost, bringing the third person in line with second person number neutral you. But this simple explanation could not explain the fact that there are speakers who produce examples like those in nine and who judge them to be fully grammatical, but who neither produce nor judge grammatical examples like those in 10, assuming that Janet and Thomas name individuals of known binary gender. Footnote 8. The judgments in 10b through c become more complex if the names refer to individuals of known non-binary gender, though it is striking that even many innovative they speakers have difficulty extending they to non-binary individuals and go through a period of making errors in pronoun use despite efforts to avoid them. This suggests that using they in contexts like those in 10b through c requires genuine grammatical adjustment even for innovative they users. 10a. Star. I just saw the lead actress, and I really love their costume. Co-reference between actress and their. 10b. Star. Janet left their sweater here. Co-reference between Janet and their. 
10C, star, Thomas said they'll be joining the call later. Co-reference between Thomas and they. The examples in 9 and 10 differ only in that the examples in 10 involve gender-specific nouns or proper given names. But if the examples in 9 were grammatical due to the loss of gender features in English, then we would expect they to be possible with all singular definite antecedents, including those in 10. The contrast between 9 and 10 also cannot be attributed to the increased, quote, solidity of proper names, i.e. their referential specificity and definiteness when compared with other nouns, because innovative speakers do generally accept they with last names introduced by non-gender specific titles. Some innovative they users also report that they improves with names that have both masculine and feminine associations, like Chris or Alex, or with internet handles, even those that are gender-specific, but are nonetheless not traditional names. 11a. Percent. I just saw Chris and I really love their costume. Co-reference between Chris and their. 11b. Percent. Professor Smith left their sweater here. Co-reference between Professor Smith and their. 11c. Percent. Moon Girl 17 said they'll be joining the chat later. Co-reference between Moon Girl 17 and they. Footnote 9. Though speakers do report a contrast between 10 and 11, these judgments are somewhat more variable than others reported in this paper. It is also possible that when presented as abstract examples, speakers treat the examples in 11 as involving reference of unknown gender. These potential confounds make this a potentially fruitful area for further large-scale studies of singular they in naturally occurring discourse. These names are as referentially, quote, solid as the names in 10. They differ in lacking the traditional gender associations of English-given names. I suggest below in section 5 that though they is a pronoun not specified for gender or for number, its extension into the space of definite specific pronouns reveals the vestiges of syntactically represented gender in English, as well as the role of gender features in regulating pronominal co-reference. Section 4. Accounting for bound variable and epicene they. I argue in this section that the conservative distribution of singular they reflects a contrastive three-way distinction among gender features, feature mask, v, femme, v, nothing, with its quantificational and indefinite uses arising because bound variable pronouns correspond to a smaller structure than do their referential counterparts, following, for example, Duchenne and Vilchko, 2002-2015. I assume a realizational view of the syntax morphology interface, in which potentially underspecified morphological items compete to realize a fully specified syntactic representation. In this type of system, they emerges as the elsewhere realization for English pronouns, occurring in the absence of any phi features that would trigger insertion of another pronoun. They cannot be specified for number, as it occurs in both singular and plural contexts. It cannot be specified for gender because it is not gender-specific, and it cannot be specified for animacy as it occurs as both the animate and inanimate plural. Footnote 10. Note that even singular uses of they fail to trigger third-person singular agreement forms on the finite verb, is, was, has, or suffix s, instead triggering the default plural forms, are, were, or no suffix. Footnote 11. Whether they is also underspecified for person depends on the representation of third person. 
While there is a long tradition arguing that third person corresponds to the absence of any more specific person features, represented in recent work by Agnostopoulou, 2003, Beharan Rezac, 2003, Harley and Ritter, 2002, among many others, authors such as Alexiadou and Agnostopoulou, 2006, and Nevins, 2007, have argued that third person does have some positive feature specification. The realization rules for third-person pronouns in English are as in 12, restricting ourselves to nominative forms for the sake of simplicity. 12a, feminine and singular, realized as she. b, masculine singular, realized as he. c, inanimate singular, realized as it. d, elsewhere, realized as they. Footnote 12. These realization rules could be simplified if plural pronouns are never specified as feature masculine, feature feminine, or feature inanimate, on the grounds that there are no gender or animacy distinctions in the English plural. In other words, that gender and animacy features are representationally dependent on a singular feature. This option is pursued, for example, in the discussion of singular they in Cowper and Kennelly 2017. If plural pronouns are simply never specified for gender or animacy, then the feature singular in the realization rules in 12 would be redundant and could thus be eliminated. Against this backdrop, consider the question of whether gender in English is contrastive. A syntactic feature F can be thought of as contrastive if the absence of that feature is semantically interpreted as not F. This has been widely used to allow greater underspecification of binary contrasts. A semantic distinction between, for example, singular and plural number thus does not require two features, feature singular and feature plural, or plus singular and minus singular, etc., but can instead be represented by a single feature, either feature singular or feature plural. That feature is either present or absent in the syntax, but its absence results in a positive semantic interpretation through the mechanism of contrast. A language like French, with a classic two-way contrast in gender, is naturally accounted for in these terms. Feminine gender corresponds syntactically to a positively specified feature feminine, while masculine is not minus feminine, but instead corresponds to the absence of a gender feature, and thus masculine is also the default gender used in cases of gender mismatch and in epicene contexts. We have already seen, however, that neither he nor she can be used in English in a gender-neutral or epicene context. This can be explained if neither masculine nor feminine is unspecified, featurely, quote, unmarked, in English, and if the features masculine and feminine are both contrastive, because conservative varieties require either he or she for singular definite specific antecedents of known gender, the absence of a feature masculine on a pronoun must be interpreted as not masculine, and the absence of a feature feminine as not feminine. What if a singular pronoun bore neither of these gender features? Contrast would result in such a pronoun being interpreted as not masculine and not feminine, i.e. neither masculine nor feminine. This interpretation conflicts with the strong pragmatic assumption that animate individuals, especially humans, can be exhaustively categorized as either masculine or feminine. A singular pronoun with no gender features thus would not be interpreted as referring to an individual who is neither masculine nor feminine, but instead with an inference that the gender of the referent is unknown, nonspecific, or otherwise indeterminate. Footnote 13. This system of contrastive ternary gender could be seen as a remnant of the masculine-feminine-neuter grammatical gender system of Old English, still preserved in other Germanic languages. 
Once nouns lost arbitrary grammatical gender features, a cultural or pragmatic assumption that all persons are either male or female would eliminate the previously available category of animate neuters, leaving genuinely epicene antecedents to instead be realized by an elsewhere form. Here, contrastive ternary gender, feature masculine versus feature feminine versus non-specified, accounts for epicene uses of they in the same way that contrastive binary gender, most often feminine versus no gender, accounts for epicene uses of masculine singular pronouns in languages such as French. The above account does not yet address the use of they with quantificational antecedents. If gender is contrastive, we might expect bound variable pronouns to be obligatorily marked for gender, at least when their domain is restricted to either masculine or feminine entities. And yet, contrary to this expectation, we have already seen that even in its conservative distribution, bound variable they occurs with gender-specific antecedents in the examples from Shakespeare and Austen in 4. The use of they with antecedents like no man or both sisters suggests that gender features are, perhaps optionally, absent on bound variables. Rather than stipulating this optionality, however, we can explain it in terms of a structural difference between bound variables and referential pronouns. Duchenne and Vilchko, 2002, proposed that pronouns fall into at least three classes, distinguish it by their semantics and morphosyntax, and further that these three classes correspond to different sizes of syntactic projection. DP pronouns are interpreted as definite referring expressions, PHI-P pronouns as variables, and NP pronouns as predicates. Duchenne and Vilchko, 2015, argued directly that English pronouns can realize either DP structures in their referential use or PHI-P structures as bound variables. As the name suggests, PHI-P pronouns include a projection associated with PHI features, but lack a higher DP layer. The distribution of they as a variable can be accounted for with a minimally richer structure than Duchenne and Vilchko propose, with one additional head in the PHI-P domain. Following work such as Stereopolu and Vilchko 2010, I assume here that gender on English pronouns is located high in the nominal spine, that it corresponds to what they call discourse gender, i.e. gender that is determined by properties of the discourse referent. Footnote 14. This is higher than the position typically assumed for grammatical or semantic gender, most commonly associated with the root itself or with little n. See Kramer 2016 for an overview of arguments in favor of a low position for grammatical gender across a number of languages. While for Stereopolu and Vilchko, discourse gender is located on D, I suggest that in English it occurs lower, within the phi-p domain, though nonetheless higher than the heads associated with number, num, and animacy, little n, neither of which is ever optional on bound variables. Footnote 15. To the extent that some speakers disprefer he or she as bound variables, it might be possible to locate gender on English pronouns on D. This would eliminate the need for a projection phi p in 13, which treads quite close to a gen dedicated gender phrase. Such a projection has been proposed by authors such as Piccolo, 1991, but is argued against by Kramer, 2015-2016, among others. Example 13. Here we see an abstract tree structure which shows a dp headed by d, which takes phi p headed by phi as its complement. In the head phi are optional masculine or feminine features. In the complement of phi is num p, whose head num bears a singular feature. The complement of num is little n p, whose head little n bears a feature inanimate. The complement of little n is a root. The crucial assumption here is that gender features in English 
feature masculine and feature feminine, are located on a higher head than either number or animacy. Bound variable pronouns can correspond either to a full phi p, in which case they will be specified for gender, number, and animacy, or to number phrase alone, in which case they will lack any gender specification. I assume that referential pronouns always correspond to the full DP structure, and so are obligatorily specified for gender, except in the above noted cases where contrastive non-specification of gender gives rise to an epicene interpretation. This departs from Duchenne and Vilchko, 2002, who assume that any given pronoun in a language will reliably correspond to a DP or phi P or NP. The structural variability of individual pronouns is predicted on a realizational approach to morphology, however, and so represents a modest extension of their proposal. This proposal departs significantly from the standard treatment of features on bound variables in the literature via the mechanism of feature transmission proposed by Arena Heim, detailed, for example, in Heim 2008. Heim notes that person and number features appear to be formally uninterpreted on bound pronouns on the sloppy identity reading in examples such as 14. 14. Only I love my mother. Nobody else loves their mother. Feature transmission addresses this issue by proposing that the five features of bound variables, for e.g. one singular features on my, are morphosyntactically copied from the binder to the variable, but totally absent on the LF branch, and thus without semantic effect. Feature transmission has a number of drawbacks as a morphosyntactic mechanism. In particular, instances of variable binding across finite clause boundaries would require feature copying in violation of syntactic locality conditions, but it also faces a serious empirical challenge in the distribution of bound variable they. To account for the fact that they alternates with both he and she as a bound variable in English, we might be tempted to suggest that feature transmission is simply optional, and that in its absence we find the elsewhere pronoun they. What this would not account for is the fact that it does not alternate with they, and neither does my in examples like 14. For this reason, feature transmission cannot account for the distribution of they as a bound variable, and also cannot account for its occurrence as a referential pronoun, either with epicene antecedents or in the innovative distribution. Section 5. Accounting for singular specific definite they. While the use of they as a bound variable and epicene pronoun is long-standing, its extension to specific definite contexts appears to be a recent innovation. Any account of the grammar of innovative they users must explain how they can refer to specific individuals of known binary gender, while nonetheless also explaining why it remains impossible when its antecedent has been introduced by a gender-specific noun or proper name. Consider again the examples in 15, repeated from 9, but now showing the variation between they and he or she. In these examples, the referent of they is animate, singular, both definite and specific, and of known binary gender. 15a. I really love her or their costume, for example, while pointing someone out. Their marked with a percent sign. 15b. My friend left his or their sweater here. Their marked with a percent sign. 15c. Your research assistant said she'd or they'll be joining the call later. They'll marked with a percent sign. For speakers with a conservative distribution of they, for whom they is uniformly unacceptable in 15, gender is grammatically obligatory on referential pronouns, in the sense that it must be expressed whenever the gender of the referent is known. For speakers with the innovative distribution of they, by contrast, specifying gender on referential pronouns is possible, and often pragmatically preferred, but evidently grammatically optional, 
Why then do innovative they speakers pattern with conservative speakers in requiring he or she in examples like those in 10 repeated in 16? 16a, star, I just saw the lead actress and I really loved their costume, co-reference between actress and their. 16b, star, Janet left their sweater here, co-reference between Janet and their. 16c, star, Thomas said they'll be joining the call later. Co-reference between Thomas and they. The simple fact that innovative speakers can use they for reference of known binary gender interchangeably with he or she is sufficient to demonstrate that for these speakers, gender is no longer contrastive on pronouns. For such speakers, the absence of gender does not convey that gender is unknown or indeterminate, though it is compatible with those interpretations. Following Vilchko 2008, I refer to this type of semantically interpretable yet optionally specified feature as an adjunct feature, notated with angled brackets around lowercase italic feature specification. For speakers with the innovative distribution of they, then, the contrastive features feature masculine and feature feminine have been replaced, at least on pronouns, by the optional and non-contrastive features angled brackets mask and angled brackets femme. The realization rules for pronouns remain the same, however, so that he and she surface whenever these optional features are present. The non-contrastive status of gender features does not explain why they cannot refer back to a singular gender-specific noun or proper name in 16, however. To account for this, I suspect that though English lacks arbitrary grammatical gender, nouns like actress and given names like Janet and Thomas are nonetheless syntactically associated with gender features. The restriction of nouns like actress to feminine reference is thus not a purely semantic fact, but instead reflects the presence of a syntactic gender feature. Footnote 16. For conservative speakers, these would remain the contrastive features, feature feminine and feature masculine. But for innovative speakers, we can ask whether gender on nouns and names, like gender on pronouns, has become an adjunct feature. In favor of this possibility, we have already seen that nouns like friend can be referred back to by singular they, without any implication that the gender of the friend is unknown. This suggests that for innovative speakers, gender cannot be contrastive on gender nonspecific nouns like friend, and so given the logic of contrast, it is not expected to be contrastive on any other nouns. Simply because a feature is not contrastive, however, does not mean that it is not obligatory on some nouns. Kramer 2015 implements arbitrary lexical gender in terms of selectional requirements. In the case of a noun like actress, the suffix s itself would realize an adjunct fem feature, little n head. Other gender-specific nominals, like mother or nephew, may be selected by a similar but unpronounced little n head, or may realize a root that is directly specified for a gender feature though this requires that formal features can recur on roots. This is a different structural position for gender than was assumed above for pronouns. Similarly, Stereopolu and Vilchko, 2010, locate the gender of nouns such as actress or mother, which they refer to as semantic gender, determined by properties of the nominal itself, on the root itself, while the discourse gender features of pronouns, determined by properties of the discourse referent, occur higher. Nouns associated with gender features include gender-specific nouns, including kinship terms, boy, girl, man, woman, nephew, niece, father, mother, etc., some names of professions, actress, waitress, stewardess, etc., and proper given names. Footnote 17. I list feminine profession terms because it is not clear whether the non-feminine variants of those nouns, e.g. actor, imply a masculine referent. In some cases, the previously masculine term has been extended to cover all members of a profession, 
but in other cases, terms like steward do seem to be restricted to men. It is interesting that in some domains, a novel gender-neutral term has been adopted, e.g. server in place of waiter or waitress, perhaps suggesting that the previous, quote, neutral, i.e. non-feminine term, had a masculine association for many speakers. Associating these nouns with gender features is not in itself enough to account for their incompatibility with they, however. We might expect that because they is underspecified, it could freely occur as a default pronoun regardless of the features of its antecedent. To rule out examples like those in 16, we need to ensure that pronouns are never specified for fewer features than their antecedents. If a pronoun refers back to an individual introduced by a noun like actress, which bears a feminine gender feature, the pronoun must similarly bear a feminine feature and be realized as she. His feature matching requirement cannot be attributed to a syntactic mechanism such as agree, moreover, because the inability of they to refer back to gender-specific antecedents also holds across clauses, as in 16a. Hence the second part of the explanation, which is that co-reference, as opposed to binding, is subject to a dynamic condition on feature matching. Referential pronouns can only be interpreted as referring to a previously introduced referent if they bear a superset of the features that have already been associated with that referent in a discourse. In other words, a pronoun can add to the linguistic features associated with a referent, but it cannot underspecify them. Consider the case where a referent is introduced with a noun phrase like my friend, as in 15b. For innovative they users, gender features are syntactically optional, and so the new discourse referent established by my friend has no gender information associated with it. It can therefore be referred back to by any pronoun that similarly lacks any gender feature, they, or by he or she, either of which would then introduce gender information, and so prevent subsequent reversion to gender nonspecific they. By contrast, if a referent is introduced by a gender-specific noun like actress, or by a proper name such as Janet, then it is immediately associated with the gender feature borne by those nominals. Here, adjunct feature femme. Here, subsequent reference to the same entity would require the pronoun she, even for innovative they users. They is excluded because it does not maximally match the formal features previously associated with the referent in the discourse. For conservative they users, by contrast, all referential nouns must be associated with gender features when the gender of the referent is known because for these speakers, gender features remain contrastive, even when they are not morphologically expressed. For these speakers, they will always fail to maximally match the features of any specific referent of known gender, and so will never be felicitously used in examples like 15. Section 6. Coda. They as a non-binary pronoun of reference. The goal of this paper has been to draw attention to the complexities of singular they in modern English, both in its long-standing use as a bound variable, an epicene pronoun, and in its apparent recent extension to use with definite and specific antecedents. Returning to the difficulty that many speakers have in accommodating they as a pronoun of reference for non-binary individuals, I am proposing that this arises not only from pragmatic or cultural assumptions about the binarity of gender, but also from a grammatical property of given names in English. What is necessary in order to adopt they as a singular pronoun of reference on this account is to unlearn the generalization that given names are uniformly syntactically associated with gender features. Acknowledgements. The ideas presented here have benefited from conversations with many people over several years, both linguists and people outside the field. Special thanks are due to Elizabeth Cowper, Daniel Curry-Hall, and Lex Canelli, as well as to participants in the Linguistics Research Group at Queen's University. Thanks also to three anonymous reviewers whose comments were helpful in improving the final version of the paper.